Hello. Welcome to the second of our great conversations. This afternoon, it's my privilege to engage in conversation with Dr. Marianne Winklemess. And Dr. Winklemess comes to us from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Dr. Winklemess, thank you and welcome to Great Conversations. Thank you. It's my real pleasure to be here with you. Marianne, when you reflect on, when you think about the landscape of higher education today, what might you articulate as one or two or more of the greatest challenges you feel that really maybe present obstacles to higher ed achieving its larger, more overarching goals? In my view, I'd say there are two great challenges that I really focus on a lot. And the first of those is the equity challenge. Trying to ensure that all post-secondary students have equitable opportunities to succeed in their higher education contexts. And the second big challenge uh, for me is that I want for institutions of higher education to continue and perhaps do more to be good collaborators and partners for a variety of kinds of post-secondary degrees whether those are certification programs or two-year degrees or um, online shorter degrees, professional degrees of some sort that will prepare folks for different kinds of careers. But just I would like for higher ed to be better, um, more engaged collaborators with those kinds of other higher education programs. That might even involve becoming more uh, robust community partners? In other words, partnering more Absolutely. with employers and business and industry? Yes, and I think we do a lot in the direction of service learning already yeah. from the higher education's perspective. Um, certainly public state schools think all the time about how to collaborate with community partners, how to enrich the economies of their states, how to be good partners in preparing citizens to, to be the best possible um, citizens in their local communities and societies. And so really what you're talking about, and I'm seeing this vision and it's so exciting, is to really leverage those relationships that already exist and maybe nurture more of a reciprocity at the curricular level. So maybe even tweaking what we're offering in those certificate or uh, mid-range so programs. I would like to see for those kinds of shorter certification programs to incorporate some of the most important benefits that we might tr more traditionally associate with um, a humanities and sciences or a liberal arts kind of education. And I don't mean that just for the sake of the enrichment that the arts might bring to someone's perspective. What I'm really talking about is we want for folks who are in a specific kind of certification program to be able to think about important questions that will connect that specific field for which they're preparing with the rest of their world experience so that they can become very good questioners, very good examiners of the problems that they're faced with inside of their specific careers. We want for people to be as 
educated and as capable as possible to take in new information, which is always generating around us, to weigh the value and the reliability of new information, to make useful judgments about how they can use that information, and to become really valuable thinkers as members and good citizens of a very multicultural global society in which they have their role in their, partic in their particular certified area. But we, don't, we want for that larger perspective and the ability to incorporate many perspectives to become a rooted part of those certification programs. So Marianne, you know, we know that the university has always been genius at creating research and uh, other kinds of knowledge products that help us address these challenges, but how might teaching itself as a university practice be uniquely situated to address these issues of equity that are just critical for us to take a look at to enhance student success? I think that from the institution's perspective, there has been a lot of attention lately to student success questions around issues of equity. And largely the solutions have been at the institutional level or generated from a top-down yes. kind of direction. So that these, and as they must be when the solutions involve strategies like scholarship funding or uh, curricular redesign and reform um, or creating pathways toward degrees that would involve certain kinds of courses, um, or even advising efforts, like a reform yes. of different kinds of advising efforts. And those are often areas where teachers' input is useful, but it is not the first or most defining aspect mm. of those solutions. Um, I think that teaching has a really important role to play, though, in complementing those institutional kinds of efforts toward greater equity. Teachers are really the ones who have the most contact with students from day to day. And it's teachers who can have the largest high quality, high touch kind of impact on the lives and experiences of students, on their whole educational experience, because they have the most hours of interaction with those students. And one of the strategies that we at the Tilt Higher Ed Project, Transparency and Learning and Teaching Project, have been advocating is a transparent framework for discussing with students the purposes and tasks and criteria for their academic work. And many of our teachers have reflected back to us anecdotally that even when they can create the most po transparent possible kinds of assignments in their view, the kinds of assignments where they are explaining to students up front the purpose. What knowledge, what content knowledge will you gain from doing this assignment and how will you use that later in your life outside of this course and beyond school? What are the skills you will be practicing when you work on this assignment? that are skills you will use in your real life, in your career, in every aspect of your life after college and after this course is long over. Um, we also want for teachers to talk about the tasks of the assignment, right? That's the second part of the transparent framework, purpose, task. And the task means just communicating with students about how will students approach this work? What steps should they take or not take? 
um, what will be productive ways for them to pursue the work, what things might they want to avoid that might not be productive. Not in a way of giving it all away, giving away the answers, but really helping students to most productively focus their work time producing the highest quality work possible. And then the third component is criteria. And this is more than giving student a checklist or a rubric, which is really important and necessary. But we also want for students to see multiple examples in practice of what it looks like when those criteria are met. Because if you're a student who has never seen what it means to create a chemistry lab report, you don't know what it means to back up your ideas with evidence when the evidence is a chemical compound. Or in a music history paper, when the evidence is a piece of music, how do you use that to support an argument? So we want for students to see multiple examples of what it looks like when a teacher's criteria are met before they have to then do it for a grade or produce it. And even when teachers are really well practiced and expert at providing this kind of relevance, accessibility, and transparency about academic work, they have told us um, anecdotally that their students will find more ways to question and more ways to help the teachers provide greater transparency. But first, teachers have to ask students for that kind of help. And this is an interesting shift in perspective that I think many teachers have already taken, that they just haven't necessarily articulated collectively in a massive way. This shift is about privileging the student's expertise as the person who can best understand their own past experience and their preparation and what they're bringing to a particular lesson or course, um, what they can contribute, where they're starting from, so that as teachers we can connect with that, understand that better, and know more about how to take them from where they are to where we want them to be. Really? To be be masters of the particular skills and content we want for them to be able um, to to use later in life. Really giving a standing to the student voice. Exactly. That infrastructure to (laughs) signature work, right? Which is also so critical. Mary Ann, as I'm hearing this important symbiotic relationship, this really a relationship of reciprocity that's at the core of what um, that vision is for TILT, it seems that teaching would also have a role to play in the second greatest challenge that you outlined for us, and that is enhancing the level of robustness of shorter degree programs like certificate programs or alternative programs. Visit with us a little bit about how you would see teaching also being the primary tool to be able to effect that kind of change. Yes, so I think that in many kinds of degree programs, there is always an effort for the provider of the program, whether it's a short-term or long-term, online, on-site, blended, whatever the kind of program is, there's always a necessity for the provider to explain and convince the student of the value of this experience. That's why they choose a particular kind of post-secondary education, because they find the one that will have the most value for them in the short term and in the long term. So as teachers become more and more interested and more and more expert collectively at 
um, defining for students and inviting students to help define the value of a particular assignment or of a larger assignment or of a whole course or of a major to that student's whole educational experience. Just the way that teachers can do this in a single class meeting or for a whole course, I think that's a really important model for how whole institutions can deliver their messages about the value of their whole educational experience that they're offering for students. And teachers are doing this every single day in the classroom. So teachers can help institutions do an even better job of communicating what that message is. And if teachers are engaged on the day-to-day level with students, thinking about how does this help you individually to be a great, responsible citizen of a multicultural global community? How does this help you um, individually contribute to your local community's economic vitality or social well-being or democracy? If teachers are thinking at a local, smaller scale level about this every single day with students, they are very well equipped to partner with their institutional administrators to think about how we pitch the value of a whole degree or a whole four-year or graduate education or equally of a two-year program or an eight-week certificate program for further career development. All of them having that same sort of level of richness, yes. right? And, yes. and really helping the student in terms of plotting that path to personal success exactly. and personal growth. And I think that institutions have thought very carefully about how to partner with the communities they serve, how to contribute to the betterment of society, how to contribute to the economic vitality of their regions. Um, And they think about this in a more global, large-scale way, whereas teachers think about this day-to-day in a student-centered kind of way. And those two perspectives, I think the global and the day-to-day, the societal and the individual student those, I think, would benefit from really connecting more carefully and more intentionally about the way we deliver messaging about the value of education. Very important loop from the student to the program to community and beyond. So, Marianne, let's return to that question of the challenge of equity. Describe that to me a bit more. Yes, I think that in the United States, we are doing better than ever before uh, in terms of access to higher education. More and more people have access to post-secondary opportunities for learning. But access is nothing like equity. And what we know, for example, is that once students reach a higher education environment, First-generation students, low-income students, and underrepresented students in terms of their race and ethnicity. Those students, according to U.S. Department of Higher Education statistics, are half as likely to graduate from college in four years as their white and Asian peers. Those students, first-generation, low-income, underrepresented, also happen to be the new majority incoming population 
of post-secondary students in this country. So that means that the approaches we've been using, the conditions under which half of them succeed or less than half, that's no longer adequate. And we know some of the reasons that these students have um, have not succeeded to the same degree as some of their peers. Some of those challenges include things like a gatekeeper mentality um, in education, a kind of mentality that says, it's my job to teach the topic. And if I am covering the topic, it is your job as the student to respond and to absorb. Um, And if you're not absorbing, if you're not thriving and succeeding, then it's my job to identify that and weed you out so that those then would become the students, the students who aren't excelling under that kind of old-fashioned gatekeeper mentality. Those are the students who would leave. Now, that kind of gatekeeper mentality is no longer sustainable when your majority population of students coming into higher ed are students who cannot thrive under that approach. A common factor, another thing that um, institutions of higher education point to as a kind of condition or reason why students aren't excelling in equitable ways is a kind of under-preparation or a lack of preparation or students who don't have the prerequisite skills. And to define that as a kind of lack for which the student is responsible is an approach that still clings to a kind of model where it is difficult for those students to succeed. I think that the transparent framework is one that helps both institutions and teachers um, have conversations about what is the knowledge and experience that students have and how can we best help them to achieve the level of education that we want for them to have when they leave? And what are their personal aspirations for how they'll use that education in their own lives as good contributors in their communities and in society? And that's really a key also, Marianne, is that these students who currently may not be best served in every way at our universities are the communities of the future. So to to serve them well at the level of their student life serves us well at the level of community life. Would you agree? agree? Yeah. So Marianne, we have some resources in place now, and you've really helped us recognize that. But what would you vision that we need in the future? What do we need more of to do what we're doing well? better as we move to the future. So one direction I'm really excited about, because I think we're developing more of what we need right now, and that direction is a kind of collaborative gathering of evidence for the impact of higher education on societies, communities, individuals. Um, I'm very excited to see the contributions of professional organizations like the Association of American Colleges and Universities, um, like the POD network, the Professional Organizational Development Network in Higher Education, um, 
also groups like the National Institute for Learning Outcomes Assessment, NILOA, um, the Online Learning Collaborative, the National Science Education Centers group. These are the kinds of organizations, um, even organizations like the John Gardner um, Institute that provides gateway and pathways kind of training for faculty and instructors. But these are the kinds of organizations that help prepare all members of our greater teaching community, whether, you know, regardless of their status in the educational hierarchy, but these are the kinds of organizations that are providing all members of the teaching community a kind of professional development where collectively they can demonstrate the impact they're having on cohorts of students or on regions that they serve. You know, in terms of societal and economic impact. And the Transparency in Learning and Teaching project, more or less by accident, has become uh, capable now of gathering enough data from enough of these faculty who have joined in a grassroots way where we can look at data about what happens to a student's learning experience when they receive transparent instruction and when they know that they have a really clear and transparent understanding of the purposes, tasks, and criteria for their academic work. We can see that that boosts students' academic confidence uh, and their sense of belonging in college, which from other researchers like Walton and Cohn's Science Magazine article, we know that those are really important predictors of student success. When confidence and belonging go up, um, we see an increase as well in persistence and in achievement. but that's just a, a micro example, the, trend, the Tilt Higher Ed project is a micro example of how we can collectively uh, gather evidence of our impact on education, on students' educational experiences. It's a way for us to demonstrate how teachers, individual teachers, when you look at them collectively as a group, how are they providing more equitable opportunities for all students to succeed. Um, And these professional organizations are more or less, in in their own ways, these professional organizations are doing just that. They are showing collectively what is the impact of teachers and of higher education on equitable opportunities for students' success. Mary Ann, as a classroom teacher, and that's a virtual or face-to-face classroom, along with just voraciously reading this data and reading the assimilation of this, how else might I, as a teacher, prepare, enhance my skills, retool, to be better equipped, better ready to serve the students in this century, the communities in this century, my colleagues, what, what more can we do as teachers to really leverage our strength? That is a perpetual challenge for teachers, and partly because the answer is always evolving. There's no fixed answer to that question. And it evolves because our understanding about how people learn is changing all the time due to advances in neuroscience and psychology and education research. Um, and because our student population is changing all the time. And so I think that there are certainly resources that are very important for members of our teaching communities. 
and many, many campuses have teaching and learning centers or education centers that will support members of our teaching community in developing professionally and in, in being, you know, these are places where um, the latest knowledge and research about learning and teaching um, are held or not necessarily held. Sometimes these are places where that knowledge is generated. Yes. Um, and these are places that propagate and promote that knowledge and help teachers integrate that new knowledge into their teaching methods. It's very difficult to be expert in that field and stay current with all the new research in that field and at the same time stay current with new knowledge about how people learn and how people respond to different teaching strategies because that knowledge is generated by a multiplicity of fields um, as well. And so I think the value of faculty development professionals is enormous, uh, particularly in this kind of higher education, in this kind of evolving higher education um, environment. Uh, in addition to that, I think that I would say there's also an answer that feels much smaller and much more doable in a way. And the answer for that is that for each teacher to find out how best to work with the students in a particular class at a given moment, um, the best experts to inform you as a teacher about that are the students you're working with. They're the ones that know the most about their current understanding of the field, about how their past experiences can touch on that, about how their future aspirations can guide their motivation to learn about different aspects of this field um, or their necessity for learning about particular pieces of the field as opposed to other pieces. Um, and I think that for teachers to reach out to that expertise in their students is one of the best possible ways to um, provide the best quality of educational experiences for those students. But that local level, I mean, that's the real place where we have the teacher's value added, right? It is that day-to-day -day interactive experience with the students, whether they're online students and yes. it's an online interaction or a, an asynchronous interaction or on-site brick-and-mortar classroom um, in the moment interaction, those day-to-day -day teachers' interactions with students are the kinds of interactions that help inform the way entire institutions can define their value, their educational value for their communities and their societies. Dr. Marianne Winklemess, it has been a real privilege and honor to hear from you today. Thank you again for joining us in this great conversation. Thank you very much, Angie. It's my pleasure.